Love that. Welcome to Christ's Journey, and I'm excited for today. I've been praying for this moment, and especially for what we are asking God to do on our campuses as this message concludes, that we would meet God in this place. He promises where two or three gather in his name, he will be in our midst. And the psalmist says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you're making your connection with us today, particularly those of you who are doing it from home, if you haven't found your way to Kendall Campus or to Gables Campus and to go into the house of the Lord with his family, can I encourage you to take that step and let God meet you and bless you there? Of course we're praying today that wherever you are, his blessing will find you. But my prayer is that together we will experience his gift as we open his word in his presence with one another. So, blessings on you. Kindle Campus, feel the love. Gables Campus, feel the love. And let's invite the Father to meet with us as we gather in his name. And today, the movie at the Father's house is asking us to enter into a very real issue for us, one that we see in the movie Black Widow of the Avenger series, where she makes it really clear one thing's for sure, I'm done running from my past. Check this out. Everybody's got a past. Everybody's got a past. Some of us run from it. Some of us hide from it. Some of us are trying to bury it. But God wants to take us into a new future. How do you deal with your past? This is the movie that is raising that question for us. The film synopsis tells us this. Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. Black Widow, confronts the darker side of her ledger when a dangerous conspiracy ties to her past tied to her past, arises. And so now, pursued by a force that will stop at nothing to bring her down, Natasha must deal with her history as a spy and the broken relationships that left, she left in her wake long before she was an Avenger. We're being brought into the backstory of her past, and now she's got to address it. Like every one of us, this hero has a past. Now, I don't mean a past life from which you cycle into another life again, some kind of reincarnate episode. Uh, Jesus taught that when this life ends, eternal destiny begins. This is our opportunity to make the most of life. And when we're talking about life in the past, we're not talking about being recycled into another go at this wheel. We're talking about what the scripture says is we live once, we die once. How do you deal with the past of your experience in this life to make the most of it while we're here? So if I were to ask you... Um, What's your story? That's what we're talking about. We're going to see what Natasha's story is in the movie. But if I were to ask you what your story is, you'd probably tell me about where you've been, 
how you were raised, what has happened in circumstances or values that shaped who you are to bring you to this point, past experiences that have brought you right here. And the question of the movie is this, is it time to face what's there so I can move forward into my future? What's your story? Psychology tells us that the reason we should address this is because as we addressed our past experiences, they can give us perspective on our lives, who we are, why we are, and now how do we want to define ourselves moving forward. In fact, a Psychology Today article in October 2018 that was titled this, When is it important to deal with your past? The author, I pulled this quote right out, said, Connect, connecting all the dots makes us whole. That's why it's important, and when you want to deal with that why, that's when it's important. Now, Scripture also tells us that much about our past, and it says that God can bring new hope. He can meet us in our past, but bring new hope for the future and show us how we can let go of the past so that we can trust God to step into the hope of a new beginning. Isaiah the prophet puts it this way, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing, God says. And then in the New Testament, Philippians chapter 3, Paul says this. Here's one thing that I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching toward those things which are ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize that is in Christ Jesus. So in other words, the Bible's message is that the past does not have to hold you captive does not have to take us prisoner, but we can actually find our way forward into a new day of hope. No matter how darkness, the darkness of our raising shows up in our lives, and Scripture also says something about this. The sins of the Father is laid upon the third and the fourth generations, and the entire family is affected. Maybe you've heard that. It's a scary thought, isn't it? The sins of the Father being visited to the generations to come. Except, you know what? We talk about the same thing in our world with different words. Here's the words we use. Family dysfunction. The reason your father's like that is because his father was like that, and now he's just doing what he knows, and he's putting it on the rest of us. From generation to generation, that's how it talks about it whether it's trauma or violence or alcoholism or abuse or abandonment or crime or injustice visited from family to family, from generation to generation. That's what Scripture means. Now, we all have stories in our lives about how life has not been fair, about how it's not good, it's not right, it's not been kind to us. And in Black Widow, the story of Natasha and her sister, Yelena. When we first meet them, you know, it's like they're normal kids growing up in a normal family with a normal, quote, mom and dad, close quote, and Midwestern parents who are living in Ohio. You know, what could be more normal than that? But it turns out that, quote, mom and dad, close quote, are really Soviet spies. They're Russian spies who are prepping those girls to be Soviet Super soldiers. This is the plot line of the movie. They're being turned from average teenagers into killing machines through a mind control process of chemical subjugation. There are drugs that are controlling their minds that make them 
obedient to the villain in the, in the story. And so they're being turned into these killing machines because of a covert government program that abducts the children, brainwashes them, forcibly sterilizes them, and drugs them, which is why they're called black widows. They're being trained to be child assassins, female assassins who cannot reproduce. Their lives have been stolen. Their wills have been stolen. Their choices have been stolen. And here's a, just, I'm going to give you one little slice of a scene where Natasha is uh, confronting her abuser. Only eight seconds, but watch what she says. You stole my childhood. You took my choices. You tried to break me, and you're never going to do that to anybody again. She's not the only one with a story like that. And she intervenes, finding her own freedom. I won't spoil it for you, but I do want to tell you that when she and her sister gather together, they share a mission to cure other widows, others who've had their lives stolen from them so that now they can make their own choices. In fact, in Natasha says this, you get to make your own choices now. In the film, here's the message. The freedom to choose and make your own decisions is key if you want to stop running from your past. And Scripture agrees with that. Scarlett Johansson, who plays Natasha, who also is one of the producers of the film, describes it as the opportunity to show the character, quote, as a woman who has come into her own and is making independent and active choices for herself while being in a dark place with no one to call. Now, the story that comes to mind for me from the ancient truth of Scripture is about women in a dark place with no one to call, but they're not black widows. They're real widows. I mean, women that have suffered and grieved, that are grieving the loss of men in their lives. And the story is being told in a book called Ruth. It was written right after the time of the judges when Samson's story happened, around 10 B.C. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, this is a powerful story about women in a dark place who are making their own choices. As if that's a new idea. Scripture says no. Women have always needed, when they're in a dark place, to discover the power of choice that can lead them into a freer place. It's also uh, the most positive mother-in-law story in the Bible. Did you know that? You know mother-in-law stories? They're usually not positive, are they? Um, they're fodder for jokes. It's kind of like the guy who's, whose wife accused him of hating her family, and he said, no, I don't, I don't hate your relatives. In fact, I like your mother-in-law a lot more than I like mine. Think about that. You know, um, stay up with me now. You know, this famine had hit the land when we, introduced, when we were introduced to the story of these two widows, Ruth and Naomi. And um, that means that there is no work, no food, what we would call a recession. They couldn't put food on the table. They couldn't put shelter overhead. And so the couple... Elimelech and Naomi, that was her husband's name, they take their two sons um, from Bethlehem, Judah, to the country of Moab, a foreign nation. And um, 
Upon arrival, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies. So now she's a single mom with two kids to raise in a strange land and not knowing anybody. And so I thought, man, that's not unlike some stories I've heard right here in Miami where people come to Miami looking for opportunity. They want to start a life, a new beginning. A tragedy strikes, and now they're left having to figure, what do we do now? Yeah, I don't know what we're going to do now. I don't know what we're going to do next. That's, this story is real for people you know. Well, what Naomi's sons do, now that their dad is gone, they marry Moabite women. Uh, and then the story rushes forward and says, and within 10 years, both of the sons die. So that leaves three widows now together. Naomi had three men in her life that mattered, her husband and her two sons, and now they're all gone, and she's grieving, and she's got two daughters-in-law to deal with as well. All three die. And I'm talking not movie dead. I mean, this is real dead. So she tells her two daughters-in-law, you know, you should really go home to your mother's house because you might have a better chance of making something happen there. And, uh, and she tells, uh, and so one of the daughters-in-law takes her up on it and leaves immediately. The other one says, no, I'm staying with you. And, and so then Naomi argues with her a little bit and says, no, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. You, you should go back too. And Ruth says this, don't urge me to leave you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Now, you know what? I invite couples to say that on their wedding day to one another as part of their ceremony. But this is where that began. It began born of tragedy in a dark place where two women decided to make a choice that would take them forward out of a past that is full of pain. So when they get back to Bethlehem, now everybody's talking. You know, Bethlehem's a little town. You, you heard that, right? Little town of Bethlehem. That means everybody knows everything. They're all talking about, uh, oh, is that Naomi? Can this be Naomi? Ha, haven't seen her since the recession came. Right? Remember the big famine? Yeah. And Naomi says this to them, don't call me Naomi. That name means pleasant. She said, you should call me Mara, because in Hebrew, that word means bitter. She's not a happy lady. She said, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me, and he brought misfortune upon me. She's bitter. You know anybody that's bitter? Sure you do. Why? Because life is hard. Life is messy. Life gives us reasons to keep score and get resentful and hold grudges and become bitter. Maybe you see somebody bitter when you look in the mirror. Life gives us reason to say, that's not right. That's not good. That shouldn't have happened. And to justify our anger in holding on to it, right? Well, it was for Naomi and Ruth, it was for the black widows too, Natasha and Yelena in the story. And in chapter one of the book of Ruth, it ends with these words, Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth, the Moabite. Now, why does that matter? Because what I haven't told you yet is that everyone in town knew that the Moabites 
had a scandalous reputation, especially the women of Moab. Why? Because of promiscuous, idolatrous behaviors that's in their past. I mean, these were pagans who worshipped the god Chemosh, a pagan god, idolatry, with immorality. And so this is like, that's like saying, wow, Ruth and Naomi just came from Moab. That's like saying Natasha and Yelena are secret Soviet spies in Ohio. You know, there's something's not right here. Something doesn't fit here. This is why the story matches up. Bad blood. Moab descended from the son of Lot because of the incestuous relationship that he had had with his oldest daughter. This is not nice. Not only that, and of course, the, everybody in town, Bethlehem, would know that story. It's in the Torah. But not only that, the Moabite women were the ones that the false prophet Balaam used to seduce the Israelite men into immorality and idolatry as they were entering the promised land. That story is told in Numbers chapter 25. There's another cringe factor right there. Their story is, so chances are Naomi and Ruth, the Moabite, when they get into Bethlehem, they're now the object of gossip and rumors, rejection because of their past. They're not trained assassins whose childhoods were stolen away like Natasha and Yelena, but the two Bible widows, Ruth and Naomi, are in a dark place with reasons to be bitter just like the black widows do. So the question is, what do we do now? What do we do now? And in the movie, what Natasha and Yelena do, they team up to face the villainy of the bad guy and then do what it takes so that other widows who are subjugated to mind control by drug abuse can also be freed up. In fact, but it's not going to be easy because all of those other widows' minds are being controlled. Which means Natasha is going to be challenged as she tries to approach them, which is exactly what happened. They're trying to eliminate her, and she's trying to neutralize them, and this is the scene. So here's my take. This movie, like so many other action movies, comes to the moral of the story and says this, give me freedom, give me power, let me kill the bad guys. If you want to get free from your past, then that's the way at the movies. It tells you, give me freedom, give me power, let me kill the bad guys, which raises this question for me. What if I don't have freedom? Now, here's the really question. Is that really the way that we deal with this in real life? That's what the movie suggests, but I'm thinking in real life, when you've been injured, when you've been hurt, when you've got reason to say this isn't right, the movies tell you, okay, 
If you had freedom and you had power, then you could kill the bad guys. Then that would solve the problem. And I'm wondering, is that really the way it works? And I'm going to tell you, I don't think so. You know, what if I don't have freedom first? What if I don't have power? What's going to happen if I really do kill the bad guys? What if you can't destroy the people who have caused you harm? Does that mean that I'm trapped in my bitterness forever and the best thing I can do is just complain and then keep my head down? That's the issue it's raising for me. No! The story of the widows in the Bible. Give us another answer. Naomi and Ruth. Give us some real help that still frees, that still empowers, even if it seems like God is the villain in your story right now. Because did you hear what Naomi said? God <laughs> has created these problems for me. What do I do now? Our culture seems to tell us that you need freedom, you need power to set the world right. That the villains and wrongs of our past must be destroyed. And if you can't destroy them, then you need to get rid of their memory. And if you can't do that, then stay as far away from them as you can. And I'm just wondering, is that what we're seeing in the culture wars of our day? You know, give me the media microphone. Let me have the freedom and the power to do, think, and say what I want to do, and I'll get rid of the bad guys. And then whoever the targeted bad guys are, then that's where we unload our ammunition. And so in social media, it's just crawling, it's oozing, it's exploding with attacks, attacks that are mocking and sarcastic and shaming and defaming and inflaming others with emotions and words, I think maybe as a desire to get rid of them. That's what just, you know, when the target, and then here's what happens. When the targeted bad guys don't really die, then what do you do? I think this is what our culture tells us to do. You just act as if they're dead to you. And I wish I didn't have to say this, but after being in the ministry for all these years, I can tell you that my own ears have witnessed people saying, you know, I haven't spoke to her in 20 years. They were talking about their own mother. I haven't spoken to him in 30 years. They were talking about their dad. I haven't spoken to him in, and they're talking about their siblings. You know, we just act as if they're dead. You're dead to me. If I can't kill the bad guy that created so much pain and hurt, hurt and hardship for me, then I'm just going to act like you're dead. That's what, and I could be off on this, but I see it happening. And it doesn't look like freedom, it doesn't look like power, and it doesn't look like overcoming the past to me. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm not a movie director. I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not a counselor. I'm not trying to pretend to be one. This is not a therapy session today. But Jesus said this, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And what the truth, his truth, has a lot to say about what to do when you are wronged. When you have reason, valid reason, to hold on to anger and bitterness and want to unload and discharge that destructive energy. What are you supposed to do? Valid reasons to be bitter. The Bible teaches this. The key to freedom and power is grace and truth. Both of them are required. That are shown in forgiveness and mercy and justice and sacrifice. And I'm telling you that every one of those is a theme in the Ruth story. 
I'm also telling you, they're all themes in the Jesus story of the Bible. And somewhere in the Marvel universe, the writers weave those into the story of Black Widow, especially in the ultimate offering that she makes in Avenger Endgame, which we just saw in the trailer for this movie. Here's where it plays out in the film itself. two Avengers, they're on the same team, they're close friends, and they're fighting to see who will use their choice to make the ultimate sacrifice of mercy to satisfy justice in love so that the Avenger family could be saved, but also one half of the universe. Does that storyline sound familiar? She uses her restored freedom of choice to show the power of sacrificial love and open a way for others. Jesus said this, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for a friend. With her free will restored, the black widow chooses to lay down her life. Now, all of that to say this, how does that help you get freed up from whatever it is that might have snagged you in the past injury or mistakes? Because every one of us has got a past. And every one of us have had reason in our past, you know, to either be offended or to create offenses for somebody else. Human nature does that in our relationships. And that's, those are encounters where our feelings get hurt, where we experience misunderstanding and disagreement, where disrespect is shown. Sometimes it's unintentional injury and insult. Other times, hey, it's all on purpose. We're doing it on purpose. We want to make somebody hurt because of human nature and its fallen expression. But we've all been given occasion. What I'm trying to say is we all have reason to hold a grudge. We all have reason to bear resentment. And we can justify it in our own mind by saying, do you know what happened to me? Do you know what they did to me? And then we just keep holding on to it. And what we don't realize is that it starts holding on to us. And then it starts taking us down and controlling the way we think and the way we behave with others. We don't mean to. But it puts us in the victim role and we get stuck there. And it makes us bitter. Just like Naomi was. Even bitter against God who made all this happen. So how did she get free? Well, it took time, but during that time, you know what else it took? It took a decision, a woman using her free will to make a choice to step into a different kind of power, the power of grace, 
the power of unmerited kindness. That painful alliance that Ruth and Naomi struck became an opening to a new future with hope because they said, God, have your way. They don't pretend they haven't suffered loss. You know, they have valid reason to be bitter, just like you do. But what they do is welcome God's hope through grit and kindness. First, they show it to one another. Then they spread it out to another relative that was close to them. His name is Boaz, which is a story for a whole other time. But freedom of choice with the power of grace opened a door to new hope that flowed through forgiveness and, uh, and opportunity. And that's how freedom works for a spiritual warrior's life. We see it in that story in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul is a veteran Christian warrior, and he's bearing in his body and in his own soul injuries that some of them brought upon himself, others of them were pushed on him by others, and he was trying to do what God wanted, but he had wounds and scars from so many offenses, and yet here's what he writes. Though we live in the world, we don't wage war the way the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That means that the battle's happening in the mind, doesn't it? We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. It occurs to me that as a spiritual warrior, some of the thoughts that we're supposed to take captive are thoughts of blame and shame toward ourselves and toward others that then keep us inflaming the wound and getting stuck in that victim role. Instead, Paul says in his great spiritual warrior passage in Ephesians, the embattled Ephesians, he, before he gets to the armor of God, here's what he says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander be put away from you along with all malice, that emotional leaning to hold on to pain in anger. And then he says, now here's the positive. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. There's the key. And I'm telling you, you're not going to see this acted out in any action movie from Hollywood. That's my hunch. They're going to keep telling you Get your freedom, get your power, and kill somebody. Or pretend like they're dead. But you see it in the Bible. You see this new kind of power in the story of Jesus, Paul, Naomi, Boaz. Scripture tells us this. Our battle is not with flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle of invisible proportions. It happens in the mind usually against authorities, powers of this dark world, spiritual forces that have to be overcome with spiritual weapons. What kind of weapons? Righteousness, peace, hope, faith, truth, the word of God. And when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us on earth and was the worst kind of victim to the sin of humanity from a cross where he was beaten, bloodied, and dying, what does he say? Father, take them all out. What does he say? He says, this is the time to use my freedom of choice to choose a different kind of power and say, Father, forgive them. How can we stop running from the past? 
The world says, give me freedom, give me power, let me get rid of the bad guys. Naomi, Ruth, Paul, and Jesus all say, I use my freedom to choose God's power and let forgiveness show me the way. The way to let God meet me in the pain and then to let go of the resentment and release the anger and the bitterness so that his grace can bring healing through forgiveness. There is no future without forgiveness. But Jesus, and and by the way, it's not forgiveness that we have to manufacture. Jesus has already done all the heavy lifting. All we got to do is be in the distribution department. He manufactures it. We just see that it gets marketed well. And especially to those who have hurt us. We could summarize the story this way. There, are, there was a time in my life I was so bitter, and I was burying the pain, and I was running from my past, and I didn't even know it, but it was showing up in my relationships. But then I chose to let the power of God's grace show me a different way, and it did. So it seems that today, before we leave this place, Let me ask you, do you have a story like that? Because that's the story God wants to bring you into that will lead to the future of freedom and healing. And here's a really cool thought that that I got to tell you. Ruth, her story ends and is recorded for us once again in the genealogy of Matthew for the lineage of Jesus Christ. Because Ruth chose to follow Naomi and her God in dealing with their past in a new way for a future? You know the future God gave her? She became the great-grandmother of King David. And in David's lineage, she became an ancestor of the Messiah, which means that because Ruth made the healing choice in the middle of her dark place with her pain. God said, I'm going to bring your future into all of the world so that healing can flow from my son into their pain. All because of a Moabite woman? Well, she was one of many that was making the choice that God would say, that's what my world needs in pain. Perhaps that's what your world needs today. Would you pray with me? Maybe the Holy Spirit has already made you aware of a snag in your life. You've been arguing with me through the whole message about how don't ask me to forgive him. Don't ask me to. No, I'm not. I'm not. I'm I'm talking about the way to be free, and I want to tell you there are three R's that occur to me in this. The first one is recognize your pain. So whatever that snag is that has come up for you, God wants to let you know you have a valid reason for being bitter. Whether it was something that happened to you or something that you did and that affected, and that pain just, you've covered it up, but it's still there. First step is to recognize it, to speak the truth. The truth is what helps us find freedom. So, Lord, I recognize this snag in my life. And it makes me angry. And it makes me hurt. But here's the second step. We, don't, we recognize it, but we don't get stuck there. 
we receive a power greater than our own, the grace of God. And then let him take us into release. Into release. So that you can have a different kind of future than one being stuck in your past. Kendall Campus, I'm going to invite you now to bring us to God's altar there and Gables Campus. I'm inviting our worship response team to come now while our heads are still bowed because today we want to give you an opportunity to have somebody pray a prayer of healing and freedom over you if you sense this is God's moment. Jesus said, my house is a house of prayer. And we've got hand sanitizer and masks down here to help everybody find a safe place if they want to. But when we open our eyes and stand in just a moment to offer this opportunity, I'm going to invite you, just some of you already know, I'm supposed to go lay this burden down and let somebody pray freedom and healing over me. So I'm just going to invite you in that same movement when we stand up, you just step out and come right on. All right, Lord Jesus, have your way. We pray in your name. Let's stand.